Scientists call it synthetic biology. Others describe this new technology that allows us to engineer living cells, hacking humanity. It's the new frontier that can give us better medicine and food and sustainable materials and energy sources, but which also has the potential to wade into dark ethical and biological territory. Ted Anton is a professor of English and an award-winning science writer who puts humanity back into the world of science fiction like tinkering in the areas of DNA editing, chemical manufacturing and genetically altered food. His new book tells the stories of people on the frontier of discovery and the policymakers trying to keep up with them. It's called Programmable Planets, the Synthetic Biology Revolution. And Ted Anton joins me now. Hi. Hi, Jesse. I'm sure you're used to uh, answering this question, but I have to ask it. How does a professor of English come to write a book about synthetic biology? Well, I was inspired by other writers, um, a um, Natalie Ann Jay in the New York Times, Deborah Blum from MIT, Mary Roach, um, and they were all English majors and non-scientists. And we view science most of all as a story uh, and the scientists themselves um, as, as, you know, as, as interesting as the amazing discoveries they make. Yeah, well put. What exactly is synthetic biology? Well, that's a great question. It began in the 1970s with changing life by changing DNA. So that's what gave us insulin for all the diabetics out there. Formerly, you had to slaughter tens of thousands mm. of pigs or calves for that insulin. And uh, in the last 20 years, it's gotten much more sophisticated, such that scientists can change whole metabolic pathways, gene circuits, they can change an entire cell. It's sort of like applying the principles of computer programming to life itself. And if people already hate the idea, I should point out that humans have been modifying living cells for hundreds, maybe thousands of years, with wine, with cheese, breeding stock. Fermentation maybe sounds a bit more innocent than synthetic biology, but in, in, they're arguably sort of based on the same kind of thing, same sort of techniques. Exactly. And I know you're an avid food uh, critic uh, and uh, writer. And, and, and home uh, fermenter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Well, much to the dismay of my wife. <laughs> yeah. Go on. Yeah. Well, I love that stuff. And I love, I mean, all 95% uh, of the cheese in America is made with uh, rennet enzymes, which are made by uh, bacteria, synth uh, genetically modified bacteria. Uh, so do we mention insulin, your cold water detergent, many uh, sustainable uh, forms of cosmetics are already made with uh, gene edited microbes. And of course, your pet, cat, dog, um, horse, uh, all these were, as you suggest, been uh, modified by breeding for tens of thousands of years. Maybe time to talk about Pamela Silva, considered one of the early pioneers of applying engineering concepts to biology. They had a pretty radical idea, didn't they? Share information and reject scientific hierarchies. Um, can you tell us a bit about that, about, about that and how they put it into action? Yes, yes. She's a Harvard professor, um, one of my favorite characters. Uh, her father played... Uh, 
poker every week with Linus Pauling and 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 she grew up her her mm. guitar teacher in Atherton, California was Jerry Garcia. Wow. And uh, she was somebody who just really had the courage uh, to to branch out into talking with engineers. She herself was a biologist um, about this whole concept of applying uh, of 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 rewriting DNA, really. And she's been a mentor to many, many people. She's very nice to me. Uh, and um, she's a really central figure who maybe doesn't get the attention she deserves. So many of the labs you visited sound, will remind me a bit of the early days of computer technology, really smart, eccentric people driven to work on the next big thing. Is it helpful to think of it as a kind of an area where science is meeting entrepreneurship? Exactly. And that's what makes it so interesting as a story, because, of course, once you get entrepreneurs, you get money and you get tangled motivations mm. and conflict. And that's where an English uh, trained writer loves to work in that kind of tangle of emotions. But it, and also those loopy, quirky characters who uh, all of a sudden start succeeding and then all the problems start. Yeah, is one of the worrying aspects of synthetic biology that that it can be done on a really small scale. You don't need millions for a giant laboratory for some of these experiments. You're not trying to split the atom. Exactly, um, and of course, it's 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 inspiring because you could have local manufacturing in Africa or in um, uh, non-developed countries. But at the same time, you can go on YouTube and order some DNA, you can certainly get bacteria to modify them to glow in the dark very easily and go to bed at night with a Petri dish underneath your arm to incubate them and then the babies will grow, uh, will be glowing. And people are actually trying to edit their genes to make themselves stronger, smarter, more attractive. And that is a danger, a problem. It is a kind of garage technology. It, it's not lost on you that many of the people working in this field grew up on the Jurassic Park films. <laughs> Is that significant in any meaningful way, do you think? Very significant because uh, they do, they love that movie. Uh, the biggest company in the U.S., uh, Ginkgo, is uh, festooned with dinosaurs. Um, and that didn't end well in that movie or <laughs> Jurassic World. Uh, we all love it. Um, and it is a cautionary tale. And I think it is a science which is uh, very aware of its moral, ethical uh, complications, but hasn't really developed a framework yet, an international framework from New Zealand to the United States um, for oversight. There are some models, but not yet a real working plan. I wonder if there are a few people out there who might still be very resistant to anything along these lines if COVID, if COVID hadn't come along and sort of thrown an accelerant on this idea of engineering genetic material and, and making it more palatable to the masses. Right, exactly. That's what uh, gave this science a star turn. And now it's its big moment because... Uh, here in the U.S., uh, the current administration is committing $2 billion um, to, to becoming a net zero economy by 2050, uh, sort of Apollo-type program. But it was COVID. It was 
uh, now everybody knows what a virus is, what mRNA is, what a vaccine is, and those are all the uh, kind of building blocks of what um, people hope will be a kind of circular economy in which this industry will flourish. I'm speaking with Ted Anton, Professor of English and award-winning science writer. His book is called Programmable Planet, The Synthetic Biology Revolution. And another character in your book is Francis Arnold, considered another pioneer in the brave new world. Her goal is to rewrite the code of life, directed evolution, she calls it. Um, For starters, what was her breakthrough that led to her, I think she won the Nobel Prize for Chemistry. Yes, in 2018, and she was um, well, perhaps the most surprised person. And it, she developed a technique where you could almost put in a steering wheel uh, to evolution, and you could direct it um, uh, like you're driving a car. And uh, so, so it helps speed up the process of new enzymes. We've mentioned now enzymes that are important in uh, meatless meat, in detergents, in making cheese. Um, And she basically uh, figured out how to speed that up and how to direct it. And it was a a really brilliant discovery. And she knew, she even said this, I think, that she was, um, that altering living cells as she was doing was sort of considered to be on the lunatic fringe. But perhaps yeah, she that's co- my favorite brain, <laughs> a lunatic fringe. Yeah, yeah. But but presumably she quite enjoyed pushing the boundaries. Yeah, well, as you know from reading the books, you've read it closely. She was a, a young woman who rebelled against her dad, although they, her dad, she totally made up. He's super proud of her. A daughter who wins a Nobel Prize, mm. but she you know, ran away to Europe, drove a motorcycle across Italy worked as a waitress in a jazz club um, and was the first female, I think, female engineering student at Stanford or a professor. Um, And um, so she had no trouble. She said, um, gentlemen didn't do that. I had no trouble. I'm not a gentleman. (laughs) Hey, you mentioned insulin. Another interesting uh, case study is the use of antivirals to treat malaria. Can you Talk about some of the success they had with that. Yes. Uh, well, that was the first synthetic biology success. So the insulin was a gene editing success. And uh, that was a, a, a malaria medicine formerly made in a, a wormwood plant called artemisinin. And a, um, a company and a researcher, Jay Kiesling, um, developed uh, an ability to do that using uh, gene edited bacteria, and it would make uh, the medicine much cheaper and more readily available. As it turned out, that really didn't succeed as a business model, but it launched, I would say, the current field of synthetic biology. Those of us involved in pest control here in New Zealand, yeah. uh, some of us at least are excited about um, this CRISPR technology, gene editing. Do scientists working in synthetic biology consider that part of their field? Yes, I do. Um, you know, uh, people will argue you, you'll get five scientists and five definitions of whether CRISPR belongs with synthetic <laughs> biology. But uh, yeah, it's basically very much speedier, faster uh, gene editing, which is a part of synthetic biology. And I thought of New Zealand because of your 
deep interest in um, eradicating invasive species. Mm. And of course, there are all these techniques for editing uh, mosquitoes so it's that the females will uh, not be able to um, have babies, procreate, or die off. And um, there are companies that are doing that, uh, eradicating pests, um, which they, in a way, they feel is much more sustainable than using massive chemical pesticide drops. Yeah. Or um, big heavy traps that you lug into the bush and have to go check once a week. <laughs> um, yeah. But oh but, but but not everyone is into this CRISPR idea either. And there's the theory that people could use it for evil. In fact, well, not even uh, not even theory. There was one Chinese scientist who went a bit rogue, wasn't there? Yes, H.J.K. Jenkui. And he did um, gene edit in embryo to twin girls born of a HIV-positive father. And he um, supposedly created an edit that would make them uh, resistant to AIDS, but uh, it wasn't clear whether it worked or whether it worked in only one child. It uh, wasn't clear exactly which doctors uh, were delivering the babies. And he actually was imprisoned afterward, although he's now released. Um, and, um, you know, the question is, who else is doing this? Uh, yeah. Parents who want to have perfect babies. And, and and it's not super well uh, over-regulated right now. I think it'd be hard to find uh, anyone among our listeners who wouldn't be in favour of a technology that could do something, something about cancer, though. Um, the holy grail is sort of finding a way to program our, program our own genes to fight cancers ourselves. Is anyone that you talk to getting close? Well, yes, that's... Um several different uh, synthetic biology technologies. One is called CAR-C, chimeric, CAR-T, chimeric antigen receptor uh, T cells, which can be modified to attack tumors. And they work, they have worked in patients, uh, but only those with soft tissue tumors, not the hard tumors, which are much more difficult to attack. There are, um, companies that have developed uh, gut bacteria, you know, you and I carry around 30 or 40 trillion gut bacteria mm. to, to detect tumors early. Um, that's being uh, re um, studied. Um, there's uh, a lot of interest in tissue engineering using stem cells to replace um, cancerous tissue. Uh, but that's still the very beginning. It's still very expensive and very untested. Yeah, that um, gut microbe work is fascinating. Uh, there's an Irish woman, Aoife Brennan. Um, yeah. And she, what did she mean when she said that she'd learned everything she needed to run a biotech company by working at a pub? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. She really read closely, and she's, again, one of my favorite characters. Uh, she, her parents ran a small pub and as a young, young person, she had to go in there and, uh, I guess work with people, I think in a company and in an entrepreneurial setting, especially if you're like in the early Silicon Valley days, you have eccentric people with very fragile egos, <laughs> uh, very, <laughs> uh, big egos, um, you know, and you have to bring them into being a team, uh, 
uh, deal with the human problems. Uh, I, I have a good friend who's in biotech. And I mean, that's what he spends most of his time doing is working in, with people issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Difficult people. Um, can, can you explain to us what a phage is? That's quite an interesting one in the area of oh. bacteria-resistant medicine. Yeah. So before COVID, the big, big health problem yeah. was antibiotic resistance. Yeah. And people getting, usually in a hospital, getting infected with a superbug that no medicine could treat. And phages are an old, old idea. Goes back to, well, uh, India, the Ganges River. And um, uh, they are viruses that infect bacteria. So every day in the ocean or in the rivers of the earth, these viruses are attacking bacteria back and forth in a big Armageddon-like battle. And in fact, CRISPR that you mentioned was discovered by uh, studying phages and bacterial um, resistance to them. So in certain cases today, if somebody's got a really bad infection, usually somebody who's in the hospital a lot, like a cystic fibrosis patient, they will use these viruses uh, in a cocktail and they get these viruses from things like sewage, from a rotting cantaloupe, <laughs> from the most obscure places um, in order to save a person's life. And, and that is several companies trying to be a little more scientific about that process. Save a life. Protect ice cream, that's another one. Ben and Jerry's use them, I think. In fact, food pops up a bit in your um, in your book. Why is the Pepsi company looking at bioengineering painkillers? Well, um, I guess uh, the idea there is to, to develop an opiate that is um, resistant to market pricing and also changes lack of uh, availability, uh, crops, and also non-addictive. Um, uh, that was one of their uh, ideas to, to make a, a, a more sustainable way of making painkillers. Mm. We've been talking a lot about AI this year, whether we're at a dystopia or a utopia moment. Um, I wonder if there are parallels in the world of synthetic biology. You know, are we at the point where we need to work out how to stop it becoming an arms race and seeing who can push it further and faster? Well, yes, it is very parallel synthetic biology to AI and the vaccine makers used AI to figure out how to make their tests um, how to, um, uh, I would say, uh, make the process of putting out tens of millions of doses most efficiently, economically. Um, and of course, nobody's writing a new organism with chat GPT, thankfully, mm. but that probably is around the corner. So um, uh, yeah, they, they have very similar um they have a lot of overlap, those two fields, and very similar challenges as far as oversight goes. You mentioned the pest control. I, I wanted to just give a quick shout-out to another New Zealand company who gets mentioned, Lanzatech, using bioengineering to make jet fuel. And this one seems to be attracting global attention. I love that company. And um, Sean Simpson uh, is the uh, New Zealand researcher who had this 
wacky idea to use microbes that are very ancient. They, back when the earth was very young, it was very polluted and they could metabolize carbon gas. They're, and he built his first plant uh, next to a steel mill in uh, New Zealand um, to take the carbon waste from steel manufacturing, turn it into ethanol, which is a uh, product used in my diesel engine in my car and also mm -hmm. in jet fuel. And um, it works. And now that's having a big moment where uh, national airlines, national governments are investing huge amounts of money in creating sustainable aviation fuel called SAFs. And Lanza Tech is building plants uh, here in the US, in India, in um, England. Uh, and they're one of the leaders of that field. Yeah, biofuels are, of course, a solution to the problem of fossil fuels in aviation and in other places. I guess we've just got to make sure that it doesn't create another problem. I mean, some people are using vegetable oils and animal fat to do the same thing, but um, there is, of course, just the chance that that's going to lead to, you know, massive intensive farming for corn and other crops at the expense of other uses of that land. Exactly. That's a big criticism, uh, valid criticism. Uh, so some of them use trash, as you say, use vegetable oil, uh, beef fat, um, and uh, you, I would see any one of these solutions as one of a number, including also uh, electric vehicles, um, hydrogen fuel, uh, nuclear power, even with the movie Oppenheimer, uh, <laughs> fossil fuels. Uh, I think this, this is a, a solar, solar power. So none, no single technology is going to help us cool the earth. We need all of them. We haven't talked too much about the ethics and we're out of time. I guess I'll just finish um, by asking you, you know, nature is about balance. If we keep accelerating evolution, playing with biology, what are the chances you think that we'll throw the balance out of whack? Well, that's a great question. And I think synthetic biology teaches us, uh, you know, that we're in a profoundly mutualistic world. We're in partnership with nature. We're trying to move away from the model of dominating, mining, extracting. Um, and uh, I think these scientists are very um, concerned about the long-term effects of changing life. And so uh, that's something, the reason we have programs like yours, and hopefully people will read my book, uh, to keep helping them to develop policies to use these uh, technologies sustainably and safely. The book is called Programmable Planet, The Synthetic Biology Revolution, and I've been speaking to Ted Anton. Ted, thank you so much for your time, and well done on the book. Thank you, Jesse.